Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. We're joined today by Michelle McClintock of the McClintock Group at Keller Williams and the law office of Paul Krasker. Michelle has been in real estate for 10 years. She quickly realized that to survive the downturn of the market, she would need to be an expert in the short sale world. With her connection to Tim and Julie Harris as a student, the McClintock Group thrived over the next 10 years, doing up to 60 transactions per year. Michelle became so efficient in short sale negotiation that she now has a second income stream from negotiating short sales for other agents to the tune of 150 transactions per year. Michelle is known across the country for her short sale expertise and is a highly sought after speaker in this area of real estate. Now, let's welcome Michelle to the call as we join our host, Tim Harris. So Michelle's calling in a little bit late. She's actually in Florida, and they're having a storm, and her phone just got dropped, but she's going to call back in on her cell phone. I want to uh, prepare all of our listeners for today's show, and I'm going to be doing a series. Julie and I will be doing a series of shows. I'm going to try to have on uh, economists and other guests. And what I want to do is I want to paint a picture for you guys, for all of our listeners, uh, around this premise. And, and, And so write this down. Remember this. In business and life, it's better to hope for the best and prepare for the worst than basically have your head in the sand. So I want all of you to hope for the best and prepare for the worst. A lot of you, uh, Michelle's a great example, are basically clients of ours, friends of ours, you know, almost become part of our extended family. Because way back in 06 and 07, when, when you know, the wheels started really coming off the wagon uh, during the housing market, uh, Julie and I, we, okay, Michelle's back. Hey Michelle, you there? Hello, sorry about that. We are having no problem. some uh, crazy weather here right now. We have internet up and down, so nope, no problem. Let, let me just finish wrap the wrap up what I was saying, and then and then I'll I'll toss it to you, and you and I can have the conversation we prepared to have. So um, we were willing to say to the real estate community that guess what? We think that there's going to be a housing bust. Uh, we know that there's going to be short sales. We're quite confident there's going to be a lot of distressed real estate. We believe that a lot of the hottest markets in the country are going to deflate. Now, did Julie and I predict that there was going to be complete housing Armageddon like there was? No, nobody could have done that. Did we predict that uh, prices were going to fall? Yes, that was easy to predict. That came from our experience selling real estate because in our marketplace, when we sold real estate, we saw that happen. So it wasn't a big surprise for us, but it was a surprise for the national market. And, and here's what, to this day, always got – it just made me mad, to be honest with you. We were the only ones saying it back then. Uh, and then not only were we the only ones saying it, but the other people that were also, let's say, sharing the national spa- uh, stage talking to real estate folks, they were actually uh, aggressively saying that not only we were, we were wrong, but we are crazy and alarmists, and you know, we caught a lot of flack because we were willing to tell you guys what you didn't want to hear. We were willing to tell the industry what it didn't want to hear because it was what we had to do because we knew it to be true. Okay? Now, I don't know how that sounds, but I'm just being as transparent and honest with you as possible that Julie and I and everyone who works with us, Michelle is one of our great coaches now, we literally won't 
do anything that's not in alignment with what's best for our clients. So when I, when, when, you know, if you're walking past a building that's on fire and you know you can run in there and you can save a life, maybe two lives, w- would you just keep walking? No, you wouldn't, would you? None of you would. You'd run into that building. Or our, our industry, or at least the people that are supposedly, you know, leaders in our industry, they walk on past. Why? Because they're more worried about their own self-interest. That's my opinion anyway. Well, guess what? We're here again. Okay? And I don't want anyone to be scared because what we're going to do is we're going to give you the facts and then we're going to tell you how to prepare. Remember, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. This is your official warning um, that we are absolutely positively in another recession. How bad this recession will become, it's too soon to tell. It might just be a mild one or it could be the start of something else. Regardless, you need to be preparing. Remember, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. We believe that within the next 6 to maybe 12 months, we're going to see some significant changes in the overall economy that will have a direct and immediate impact on your lives. Uh, And you have to be prepared. And you cannot now say that for some reason, no one told me I didn't know it was coming, why didn't my broker say something, or... You know, why didn't the so-and-so at the whatever seminar I attended, you know, why were they just talking about Internet lead generation? Why didn't they mention anything about this? Well, they probably didn't know. But we're going to give you the facts, so then you'll be able to make your own, you know, decisions. And then hopefully you're going to go about making uh, smarter decisions going forward in preparation for a market adjustment. Now, here's the good thing for all of you. Regardless of what direction the market goes, you know, continues to inflate, you know, seller's market, houses selling themselves, Okay, you know how to make money in that market. Well, guess what? You can make as much, if not more, when the market goes the other direction. So do not fear an adjusting market. Do not fear a housing recession. Do not fear even a housing depression. So worst case scenario, if we go into a depression, a real depression, something that's a, historically, a historic event that makes the last one look like you know nothing, if it gets that bad, which I don't think it will, but if it does, Historically, there will only be a certain percent of the people of the population that are really affected. Something like 20% will have massive hardship in their lives, similar to what happened last time. You know, that's basically how these things play out. So 80% of the of the country will be stable. 80% of the country will be, uh, you know, functioning normally. So it'll be just pockets around the country, and unfortunately, those pockets are going to be where there's the highest density of people, where there's been the most housing appreciation, where housing values have the most to fall. Those are going to be the areas of the country, and I know a lot of you listening live in such areas, New York, Miami, um, you know, big populated metro areas, you know, all over the country, where the houses of values have risen the most during you know, this last boom, they are going to fall the most, and there's going to be the most hardship. There will be also the most opportunity, and that's what today's call is going to be about. So, Michelle, welcome to today's radio show. Thanks, Tim. So, uh, am I being too doom and gloom? Am I am I overstepping? Am I going to start getting the hate mail like we did ten years ago by telling the marketplace this? Uh, absolutely not. Any anybody that is on this call should be listening because it is a fact. I mean, the best thing that ever happened was Tim and Julie, we met Tim and Julie Harris, and they introduced probably one of the most important spokes of real estate that there is. This spoke did not exist um, nine years ago. So very important spoke, and 
people need to take note and become very good at it again. A spoke is basically, for newer listeners, is basically a source of business since she's referring to short sales. So um, you're, let's, let's give these guys – now, you are an absolute short sale stud. I don't personally know of anybody in the country that is, was, and will be more wired into short sales than you. You sat on – I don't even know if you're allowed to disclose the private groups you are in with the banks. Are you even allowed to talk about that? I don't know. Mm, not really, no. Okay, but, well, so uh, Michelle was – well, you worked with you worked personally, uh, without mentioning lender names, with some of the largest lenders in the country, helping them basically get their short sale process going, helping them essentially work better with agents. You had you were literally sitting at the highest levels during the last boom, or I'm sorry, the last bus, and so you have these same contacts and these same friends, and you have these same relationships. What everyone wants to know, Michelle McClintock, is what are they telling you? What are they telling you today about what's going on? Well, I mean, anytime I'm on the phone with any of the banks, for the most part, their short sale um, divisions are ramping up. They're getting more and more and more files and continuing to hire more people. And really, the trend now is the banks want to do short sales. They do not want to foreclose on these properties and they are giving every possible option to the person of a short sale. They will delay the foreclosure. They will do whatever they can to let a homeowner short sale. And they're doing that. Why? Why are they doing that opposed to rushing to foreclosure? Well, they, obviously the banks don't want to have the inventory. Um, they want to get rid of these properties beforehand. They don't want to do loan modifications. But they have to give these homeowners options. And obviously the best option for exit for the bank's asset and for the homeowner is a short sale. The, well, you, the most important thing there that the listeners need to pull out is the banks are knowing uh, that there's going to be a correction coming and it's going to be they don't, nobody knows how severe. Um, and the banks are not wanting to build inventory. They don't want to take the houses back, so they're doing what they can to essentially exit the houses while the sellers are still in it so they don't have to take the houses back through foreclosure because they don't want to be sitting on these foreclosures during the next housing downturn. Michelle and I were talking prior to the call, and then I have some quotes. Michelle, do you have those quotes from Mark Henson that Gina prepared for us? The uh, statistics. I have them on my computer. If you don't have them, I can read them. Well, so here's, here's a couple little societal things that have shifted um, back in 06, we started seeing first signs of the housing market crash. Uh, and we saw it, by the way, uh, because we were coaching agents in those, in those markets, and they were starting to tell us what was happening differently and how the markets were shifting. Those exact same conversations, in a lot of cases, those exact people are happening now. Um, so one of the things that we were able to do in preparation for that is then we were able to keep our tentacles all over the country and monitor uh, essentially what was happening as far as how things were starting to settle, how start, things were starting to reset. One of the first things you see, guys, in a market like that is you see where things are starting to basically reset is the upper end real estate stops selling. Now, the press is blaming international buyers. You know, Miami isn't selling because the Brazilians aren't buying. And all those things are definitely true. But the reality of it is, is that the people with the money do not have confidence in putting their money towards real estate. They're not willing to double down on the big expensive whatevers anymore in the same, at the same level that they were. The first thing that happened in 06 is that top-of-the-market stuff started to die. 
It's happening. Uh, you know, we have the top agents in Manhattan, top agents in Miami, top agents in L.A., top agents in Scottsdale, top agents in Austin, Texas, of all places. And you look at those markets, that top-end, high-end market has massively slowed down. Those people know something that the rest of us don't, trust me. So then what happens is that starts creeping down to the rest of the market. And that's what's happening now. So the big shift that happened, the thing that we have now that was taken away from us as a result of that last bust was that, you know, I grew up, I'm 46, I grew up believing that people kept their houses. You would fight tooth and nail not to have a foreclosure. Uh, bankruptcy was uh, the last possible thing you'd ever want to consider. These were all the sort of societal beliefs that I had when I was growing up. The last recession, if maybe it was a depression, erased all those things. The, uh, the entitlement mindset that people have that their houses will always go up in value, that's gone, right? People don't believe that anymore. So during the last recession, people would literally argue with me that housing value has never gone down since 1933. Tim, you can't possibly be right with what Julie and I are you're saying. Look at the facts. Look at these graphs. Look at these statistics. You're just wrong, wrong, wrong. Well, guess what? Things went down in value. Now that they have gone in down in value in a modern era, our era, then what we're going to do is we're going to see the mindset from folks that when the going gets tough, they're going to leave. They're not going to stick it out. They're not going to fight it out because they have personally experienced 50, 60, 70% uh, depreciation in their homes. They won't stick it out this time. The market will deflate quicker than it did last time. The banks know it. Michelle, as I was saying that, what were you thinking? I, you're exactly right. I mean, this, the fact is I'm already seeing it that homeowners that were thought that they could hang on and, you know, recover in, this, in the rebound are not. They're just getting rid of their property. In fact, what used to be you had to have a hardship to do a short sale really doesn't exist anymore and that's for the people that basically just want to get rid of the property or they know a shift is coming and they're preparing for it and they're getting rid of their property and becoming renters all right so um by the way that's the other thing being a tenant being a renter uh, that's changed too. I mean, it was used to be you're not a man or a woman or an adult until you own a home in America. That's not true anymore either. I mean, the mindset about being a tenant, that's forever changed. So here's some quotes, guys. And these are just from the last couple of days. And Gina, again, thanks for putting this together. Mark Hansen, and you guys remember him, he used to be in the news every single day during the housing crash. Well, he's back. Here's a few quotes we pulled from him. He said he uh, believes that U.S. housing prices are 25 to 60% higher than what the market can support. He said that the housing market is being propped up by unorthodox capital. I'm not sure what that means, really. He said the average families, and he refer, you know, average families being the people that you know are buying the houses to live in, are not buying because of the high prices. He believes. Um, okay, so that's the essence of it. And there's some some other interesting stats here. There's an art. Okay, let me read this one. Okay, here's from Daniel Jennings. He said, one intriguing aspect to this bubble, referring to this bubble that we're currently in, is that it's not been driven by average people taking out risky mortgages like 2007. Instead, it seems to be driven more by speculation and professional investors. It looks as if scarcity uh, could be driving uh, housing, prices, or housing prices higher. The market simply is not meeting the demand of new, uh, for new housing. One uh, explanation for this could be the stag 
the stagflation in the housing market, a lack of demand, and a higher prices or inflation at the same time. Jennings speculates that uh, another cause of the price bubble is investors and, and persons looking for landlord. Okay, this is he goes into more uh, conversation about investors. So really, there, again, guys, hit the hit up the Google machine, and, and I can read you some more quotes. But the gist of it is, is the same people that were essentially calling out the housing bubble are calling it out again. Now, again, I, I want to be clear. Well, I'll ask Michelle. So, Michelle, you're, you work with you work with obviously our coaching clients all over the country. You know, you've got your short sale processing business. You do with the law office. So, you have your tentacles all over the country. Where do you feel so far that the correct that there's something? Uh, that the tidal wave is about to hit the beach. Is there any place that you feel like it's that profound? I mean, it's it's everywhere, Tim. I mean, seriously, every coaching student I get back get on the phone with is asking about a short sale spoke and how to go about doing short sales, and they're everywhere. I mean, I can I can go to any zip code and pull up, and there are 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 short sales. I mean, or people that are in distress. And inventory, you want you're low on inventory. Just go into the MLS or whatever your source is. I mean, I did it last week. We have 6,500 people in Palm Beach County who are in some sort of um, distress situation. They filed a list pendant. That's my inventory right there. I'll work with that inventory well, all day long. You're thinking like a coach talking to a client. Let me drill, drill down on her point. Those of you who believe that there's no – see, this is how you basically can make money with this information that we're giving you guys, and she just basically laid it out for you. For those of you who believe that there's no inventory in your market, you've set your MLS filters not to pull out the distressed property. Why? Why have you done that? She just told you that the banks are pushing through short sales. So look for the ones that are listed as short sales. I know as a result of the, you know, the last bus, a lot of MLSs required that short sales be tagged in a specific way. And the MLSs, and a lot of you guys have decided not to show those anymore. Your belief is, well, it's a slow sale. It'll never close. It's not da, 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 da. And yet you have these buyers that say they can't find a house in a particular price range, and they're the MLS. Aren't you guys... I mean, isn't that a conflict? Isn't that a little bit of an ethical breach that you know the inventory's there, but you're just choosing not to sell it because you think that for, you won't get paid? That doesn't make any sense. Give the, sell, give the buyers the truth. Tell them how the market actually is. Educate yourself on short sales because, you know, you want to be talking to an agent that has, uh, you know, at least an understanding of the short sale process. So you're not just standing on the altar forever waiting for the pastor to show up to get you married, right? You want to make it so that that agent absolutely it is in control of that process, does know what's going on. So, Michelle, what types of questions should a prospective buyer's agent ask that listing agent who's got that short sale to know whether or not they actually have, uh, you know, control of the process? Um, definitely you want to see if they've submitted a package to the bank. For the banks now, it is mandatory, it is a government guideline for them to basically give the seller all the options, and it's a foreclosure per- prevention option application that they do based on all of the information that has to be supplied just like a mortgage when they took the mortgage or when they got the property you have to supply that information and they will basically give the seller the option pretty much now the seller is only going to have an option of a short sale Um, I just received one of these applications and it says denied on a modification denied on a deed in lieu, and, oh, by the way, go ahead and hire a agent 
to sell your property because that's the only option we're going to give you. Um, so the seller has to go through that process. That's something you're going to want to ask the other agent if that's already been done. Um, obviously, the property has to be marketed. There is really no such thing as an approved short sale anymore. Um, the bank is always going to do the due diligence on the actual contract that's submitted. So, you know, you definitely want to make sure that that agent knows what they're doing or they have somebody that is going to do the, the, the negotiating and stuff for them. So we talk, I mean, you said the package. I certainly know what you mean. But the package, you, can you summarize what, you, you, this might be a little test for you guys who are selling or are going to show a short sale for you to test as to whether or not the listing agent who claims to know what they're doing on a short sale knows what they're doing. You know, she said the first thing is the package has to be submitted to the bank. So here's your little test to see if they're being, you know, honest about their experience level with doing this. Michelle, what is in the package? Typically in the package there's going to be the listing agreement, a 45060, which allows the bank to pull their tax returns, their actual tax returns from last year, um, the Making Home Affordable package, um, which we have on the site, so that the homeowners would typically fill that out at a hardship affidavit, which is another government um, form. And that's it pretty much. And bank statements and pay stubs if they're employed. That's pretty much it. It's not the 150-page packages we used to send in. The banks have really streamlined the process for homeowners now to do short sales. Did you have, have you seen in a lot of the most distressed markets, uh, here's a great quote by Mark Hansen. I'm going to read this one. Um, so this is again from Mark Hansen. He said, also on prices just for fun. If 2006 was a uh, known nasty bubble and today housing prices are the same to 20% higher depending on the region and incomes are 5 to 10% less, why isn't this a bigger bubble, Hansen asked. Kind of interesting little thought for everyone. Mm. Um, again, guys, do... Yeah, right? <laughs> Do your own homework on this, guys. Go to your MLS. Look to see what the distressed property is. Um, Michelle, other than the MLS, they can also – one of the other things that's very interesting – you know what? Actually, you're going to have better information than I am. Are banks reporting – how long do they wait to report lates on mortgages? Are they reporting off first, second, or third lates, or are they even reporting? Ours, well, in Palm Beach County, it's typically a list pendant filed with the court system in on day 91. So we're seeing those okay. on day 91. Okay, so they are, so they're filing essentially a notice. The first process and the notice to foreclose is happening after the seller has missed three payments. Back in the bubble, Correct. there was a bunch of research that came out that said something like 95% of everyone, if they miss two payments on a mortgage, will never bring it back up. One missed payment could be, oh, I just forgot to mail it. Two missed payments is, I ain't ever mailing it. Um, and so the banks, uh, but during the bubble, during the crash rather, the banks weren't filing those list pens in Palm Beach, Florida at 91 days. They were waiting sometimes, weren't they? I mean, how? Absolutely. So what's changed? I know. All right, so talk about the whole extending and pretending thing. Has that changed? Um, the, the thing is, is back then you could hire an attorney and basically, you know, put the foreclosure off forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Um, I just completed a short sale that had a list pendants filed seven years ago. 
Um, so, again, oh now, even in Palm Beach County, they tightened those guidelines for a while. Now they're opening them back up and basically saying, no, let's, you know, give the judges are doing that and the banks are doing that. We don't even have to worry about our local systems doing it. They are letting these people go on forever as long as they're, you know, trying to short sell the property. They will they'll, they'll postpone the foreclosure if you have a short sale in process. So All right. everybody but, wants that's, us to do them. Let's drive, that, let's drive down on that. What she just said, and a lot of you guys who are listening probably or think that she's talking witchcraft and alchemy right now, but I want you to understand. Um, during the last correction, what happened was the banks would, in many parts of the country, they would be literally slow to file the list pens. Call different things in different parts of the country, but it's a notice to foreclose. So it's the first part in the legal process to go after the property. They would be slow to process those, and a lot of times they were playing games because they then didn't want to have to take, uh, they didn't want to have to report, uh, you know, these banks are having to file, make public filings, the amount of actual properties they had in foreclosure. So they were actually not uh, filing the public notice until way after 90 days. Well, okay, so the other thing that they were doing, and she just said it, is they were actually not foreclosing. So even though, you know, your mortgage says that after 90, on 91st day, the list pens will be filed and hypothetically given averages that by, you know, maybe the fifth month, the house will be sold to Sheriff's Courthouse steps. Okay, that may be the way it would work in a normal market. We're not in a normal market, haven't been in a decade. So now what's probably going to happen is you're going to start seeing, because people know this, it's all over the Internet, people have been maybe through these experiences themselves, maybe people that you're going to be dealing with actually did this before, you know, they had, they, they essentially gamed the system. If times get tough and people don't have money, the last thing they didn't pay was their mortgage, right? Now this was, you know, maybe I'm an artifact, but that's, that's basically how it was mm. when I was being raised. Michelle, too, right? The last, the first thing you paid was the mortgage. The last thing you didn't pay was, you know, something else. Now it's the first thing that people don't pay in hard times is their home loan because they know that the banks won't foreclose. They know there's ways to game it and drag it out. They know that they can go, and you heard her say it, and New York State was one of the worst states. You could literally stay in a house for, you know, five, seven years without making a single payment before the actual foreclosure happened. In Ohio, it was the similar. I mean, across the country, guys, there's still people living in houses from the last bus that haven't made payments in, you know, forever. All right? So folks know that. So you're going to start seeing those that, you know, those are the types of little funky things that you can start looking out for. Um, the other thing is, and I know not all of you are doing these, and you don't, you know, necessarily have to be focusing on all this stuff. Again, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. We're giving you little... We're giving you little seeds that you guys can investigate individually uh, to see, get a flavor for what's going on in your own market. But, you know, go to a company like Goodman Dean or go to another one and just find out what their BPO orders have been like. There's an agent in your office, I guarantee you, that does BPOs. Ask them if their orders have increased. By the way, if you don't want to do it, I'll tell you the answer. Their orders have increased by like fivefold in some cases. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, and in, preparation, in preparation for today's show and some other shows Julie and I will be doing, I've been reaching out to all these companies. I've been asking what their orders have been, and they're all seeing not just little increases, but massive increases in BPOs. Michelle, when does a BPO happen in the process? Why would there be an increase in BPOs now? Why is that a very, very, very early warning sign? Well, because a lot of times now they're doing them up front as soon as somebody starts missing a payment. Um, right. And, you know, they're just 
they're just not going to wait anymore. They're doing them up front because they know these people aren't going to catch up on their payments. They're they're just going to default, like you were saying. But, so when you get a BPO order, Michelle, that says drive by only, don't knock on the door, you know, hide behind a bush when you're taking the picture, there's your, probably a high probability that that's somebody that's missed one or two payments and they're already on the foreclosure path and the bank is basically, you know, that, that's the early warning sign. You guys need to look for these things. You can't hide in your, your heads in the sand after listening to today's radio show. So remember, and this is, and I got one more quote I'm going to read to everyone. Do not get depressed by this. Do not be one of these agents that think, oh, my gosh, I can only be successful in an up market. You know, Michelle, that is kind of interesting. So many agents basically freak out when they hear anything other than basically home prices are going up. That's not your mindset, yours and Joel's, is it? No, not at all. I, I mean, I work distressed properties all day long. I've got uh, 47 files right now. So, I, I'm, you know, I can take another 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. I'm okay with that. So, you know, the, the, getting back to the – yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Are these people, I mean, the great part about distressed homeowners is they don't fight with you on anything. They don't, they don't say anything about reducing the price. They don't care. They just want the property gone. Oh, and by the way, more often than not, these homeowners are getting money the day we close to um, sell their short sale property. Anywhere between the bank is giving thousand dollars. Absolutely. Right, the bank is giving them relocation expenses. Again, people that have not been through that market, they don't know that. The banks will actually pay them to do a short sale so they don't have to foreclose on it. Yeah, so that's another issue. And, and remember, guys, the banks really aren't autonomous anymore. They're all sort of in with the government. They're all sort of one thing now. And so the government basically wants to obviously not have a big spike in foreclosures. Foreclosures in a vacant property and that whole process really dis- disrupts the community, you know, starts with the community, then it becomes the city, and then it becomes a region. Uh, it's, it's foreclosures, people losing their homes, it's extremely disruptive to, you know, the social, you know, norms that all of us have come to expect. So, yeah, man, for social engineering's sake, that's one thing you definitely want to avoid if you want to keep people from showing up at your, you know, your courthouses with pickaxes. So here's, I got another quote. Hansen expects prices to fall from 15 to 20 percent by 2017. He also expects the Federal Reserve to launch a new round of quantitative easing and knock down mortgage rates in order to stimulate the economy. So I had an interesting question the other day um, from a coaching client. He said, Tim, how can there be, like, you know, what's different now than there was before in 2006 and 7? Okay, you know, what's different? Okay, here's the biggest difference. Interest rates are low and lower than they were before. Everyone can agree to that. Now they're lower than they were in, you know, like, up to the, you know, 2002, 2003, all the years leading up to it. But mortgages are a little bit harder to, to come by. But they're not so hard to come by that there's not people standing in line to buy your listings, right? So there still is a an inflation or there's an over-expectation about house prices. The belief is, and, and the behavior is, the same identical out of different sets of people than it was back in 07. But the ramifications are going to be the same. Deflation and housing price erosion is going to have the exact same effect. It might not be, you know, the realtor you know that's got 10 mortgages and, and, and 10 rental properties. That not, that's not going to be the person that's going to suffer this time. It's going to be maybe a hedge fund or it's going to be an investor. It's going to be an international buyer. It's going to be somebody else. But when those houses hit the market as foreclosures at lower you know, prices causing the market to erode, the ramifications are the same. You guys get the difference here? So there's going to be the, the same result but just different players this time around. That's at least what it feels like to me. Will every market be, uh, you know, it, every market in the last time around did not 
uh, collapse. You know, at Vegas, Julie and I were there. We saw bank runs. You know, Julie and I were at, we traveled around during that time. We saw some of these markets. Some We actually saw lines at banks. We saw things happening that we never thought in our lifetimes we would see. Yeah, that's going to happen again. And it might even happen at a higher frequency. But you could live in these little areas, these little pockets of America, where you'll just be reading about this stuff on the paper and maybe seeing it on the news. And you won't be directly affected. It'll affect people's mindsets. It'll affect people's attitudes. But it won't really necessarily have that dramatic of an effect on your immediate business. But do be mindful of what's coming. Again, be prepared. I know I say that all the time, but it's true. Hope for the best. Be prepared for the worst. So this radio show hopefully planted enough seeds for you guys to start preparing yourselves. We're going to do upcoming radio shows that are going to be specifically about the overall economy and how to prepare yourself individually to take advantage. I know it sounds tacky to say, but it is take advantage to the massive opportunity that a corrective market can actually actually generate. There is a massive amount. Truthfully, guys, this is 100% the truth. Historically, the greatest fortunes have always been made during the greatest times of disruption and the greatest times of change. You can go back to the beginning of man. You can go back to the formation of our country. You can go back and study your own history. The greatest fortunes are always made during the greatest times of change. Where most people make the mistake is they keep riven, you know, rowing, slow rowing down the river of denial, trying to believe that things aren't going to, you know, that, that, that the market's actually not in a different phase. We're there now. Prepare. Don't freak out. Don't, you know, go to ground and, you know, basically hold your head in the sand and hoping, you know, the clouds will clear. Get ready. Embrace it. Love it. Have a mindset of service. Look for the opportunities. And a lot of you guys, I know, like Michelle and Joel and thousands of you, you guys know what you're supposed to do right now because you've been attached to us for a long time. You're supposed to, you know, we're going to give you specifics, but you're supposed to get ready to go on a buying spree because that's what comes next. As things start hitting the market for sale, on sale, you can start buying things and get 7%, 8%, 10% cap rates. Oh, yeah, that's coming again. So get ready. Michelle, anything else you'd like to say to these guys as we round the bend? Well, just the fact that get back in the real estate um, short sale business because on a daily basis, it's increasing. And, you know, it's not any surprise to anybody now, any agent who is new to the business, you know, do it right from the get-go. If people in the business or in your office don't want to do it, do it for them. You know, give them a referral fee. Take that short sale. Um, They're taking about 90 days to do now. If there's no inventory in in the marketplace and you take a short sale and you have a buyer, you've just solved both problems in your real estate business. So, you know, take advantage of the short sale. I was just asked to give out my email, so I will. My email is tim at timandjulieharris.com, tim at timandjulieharris.com. We're going to publish this radio show in all of our normal places. We're going to put it on Inman. I hope that I'm not going to attract the same sort of haters that I did 10 years ago. That's okay if I did. Um, My job is to help you guys. You know, there's 100,000 of you that listen to us every month. We have, you know, tens of thousands of you that have come to us and and trusted us with helping you build a stable financial future for you and your families. I'm going to do whatever it takes to give you guys the best information, and then I'm going to do whatever it takes to align myself with incredible people like Michelle McClintock and all of our other coaches so that we can prime you guys for the opportunities that 
are ahead of you, regardless of what's going on, what direction the market's going. Be excited. You now have insider information about what's happening next. If you don't, if you want to be a skeptic, which a lot of you will be, do your own homework. Fire up the Google machine. Do some own, your own searching. Find your own information from the MLS. Go and use some of the other little breadcrumbs we gave you. Find out about the increase in the BPOs. You're going to find, everywhere you look, reasons to believe that what we're telling you is absolutely positively the truth. So, over the upcoming radio shows, not sequentially, it'll be a little here, there, a little there, we're going to be telling you guys what to do to prepare. Be excited. The greatest fortunes in the history of history have always been made during the greatest times of change. In our opinion, one of those times is coming our way now. Michelle McClintock, thank you very much for being on the radio show today. I sincerely appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Bye. Bye, Tim. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.